Good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me, the book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we start a new four-week series that we're calling Prayer Changes Everything. But what I want to do for the next four weeks is that I want to talk to you about the one thing that will make the difference for everything for you in 2022, your prayer life. You see, there was a recent survey that detailed that over 90% of all Americans pray. I don't know if I believe that or not. However, the article also contended that really among that 90%, only 8 to 10% of all Americans pursue prayer as a primary factor in their daily life. So how about you as we start this new year in 2022? I mean, how is your heart before the Lord? How would you quantify your time with the Lord? Is it consistent? Is it inconsistent? Is it non-existent? For whatever answer, I want to challenge you this year to take the heart of this prayer in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and to read it, and to think about it, and to daily recite it, and see what God does in 2022. You see, this passage describes to us the perpetual necessity of prayer as a Christ follower. Luke, unlike any other gospel writer, places a deep interest, a desired emphasis on the prayers of Jesus Christ. In fact, did you realize that Luke, the historian, gives us nine separate instances in his gospel where Jesus is praying? Now, historically, we've called this prayer the Lord's Prayer. It should be more aptly called the disciples' prayer, and it differs from the prayer given in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. You see, the prayer in Matthew is given in Galilee, not Judea, like Luke chapter 11. Secondly, the prayer in Matthew happens early in Jesus' ministry in a sermon. This prayer more than likely took place two years after the disciples knew and loved and was following Christ. And in response to one of his disciples, Christ gives this prayer. Now, I'll remind you that through all four Gospels, Jesus probably taught these disciples about prayer on several occasions. To Jesus, prayer was number one. It just wasn't a part of his life. It was the way of life. And that's what I want you to get as we walk in there and do life. That I want to take these next four weeks and I want to show you how God wants us to pray to him. Because prayer is the way of life. With that in mind, your Bible says this in Luke chapter 11. Now, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, how will it be your name? Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is going to show us how he prayed. And the Bible says in verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke places an emphasis on Jesus as a person who routinely prayed. Luke mentions Jesus's prayer life more than any other gospel writer. In fact, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is often praying in every major facet 
of his ministry. For instance, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when Jesus is baptized, the Bible says that before he was baptized that he looked up to the heavens and prayed, and literally the glory of the Lord shone around him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, before Jesus gave the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says that he prayed for his hearers. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, that literally the last words of Christ on the cross was a prayer to God, God receive my spirit. Interestingly enough, the last words that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 24, verse 51, before his ascension was a prayer over his disciples. Jesus was regularly in constant communion with God as the way of life. And that is why all throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus is praying anytime, anywhere, over anything. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, he prays for Peter. In fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he even prays for his enemies. The interesting thing is, is that Prayer so saturated and dominated Jesus' life, he even intentionally brought in the sincerity and supremacy of prayer in his teachings. In fact, in not one parable, not two parables, but three parables in this gospel, Jesus works in the priority of prayer. Specifically in regard to the parable of the friend at midnight in Luke 11, verse 5. The parable of the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and of the Pharisee and a tax collector in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. These disciples had been with Christ over two years. They had watched and listened to him pray, and they earnestly came to him and asked, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. It was a regular custom for a rabbi to instruct his disciples in specific prayers in which they would habitually use. These disciples were Jews, and the Jews had prescribed prayers for everything. They had prescribed prayer for in the morning and in the evening and at noontime and for meals and for blessings and for festivals and everything. Yet there must have been something distinct, apparently about the way Jesus prayed. There must have been a difference from others to them in regard to his words and his attitudes, even his expectation. And so consequently, they urgently request Jesus to teach them to pray. The impetus in the text is, teach us now. We've watched for too long. Now, Lord, teach us to pray. You want to know why? Because even the disciples knew at that time that lasting change begins with consistent prayer. You hear something interesting. Did you realize that there are over 165 examples of Jesus teaching the disciples in the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four Gospels, 165 different examples. Verse 11 is the only request by the disciples in the Gospels for Jesus to teach them on a particular subject. And Lord, teach us to pray. Notice the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, not just a specific prayer. And it's within the overflow of that question that Jesus provides a framework, a structure for every prayer that we are to pray to God. 
God wants us to talk to him. God wants to know what's going on in your life. God wants you to tell him what is on your heart and what is on your mind. What are your struggles? What are your frustrations? What are your joys? And Lord, teach us to pray. This word prayer here speaks of a specific petition or continual communion with God as religious leaders would often teach their followers how to pray and express as a means of identity and encourage unity. Jesus outlines and details this pattern we are to follow because nothing is more important. Nothing is harder to maintain than a healthy, Godward, Jesus-centered, Spirit-led prayer life. It's within this overflow that Jesus now responds in verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, how will it be your name? Jesus provides them a template in which to follow. Now, notice the first part of this prayer is dominated by God himself. You see, prayer is for us. But prayer is not to be about us. And when you pray, he renders this in a present subjunctive. His impetus is whenever or in all occasions of prayer. Jesus did not specify the posture of prayer or the place of prayer or even a specific time, but a pattern of prayer. He is telling his disciples and consequent followers that God wants to talk to you at any time, anywhere, about anything. That there are no limits to when we are to pray to our unlimited God. But if we're not careful, we'll miss it, will we not? If we fall into this trap, this casualty of prayer that, you know, it's just something that we just kind of do when we think about it. Or when, you know, things go really, really wrong. Is it come to this? We've got to pray now? No, he's describing here an intimate, intentional way of life. And when you come to God, you call him Father. Jesus' model prayer doesn't begin by calling God friend as equal or master as a slave. But dearest Father is what this word means, Abba. As a beloved child would come to a loving parent. Can I tell you that all prayer genuinely begins right here? It begins with an affirmation and adoration of a title that is intimate and familial and relatable and honorific. He is our Father. We are to start prayers this way because prayer is always to be adoring before it is ever requesting. That there is a sense of awe and wonder and intentionality with an intimacy that leads to this relationship. But can I tell you, this is absolutely earth-shattering. Absolutely. I mean, think about all the names of God that we have even in our current culture. You know, I've been watching a lot of football lately, as all godly men should. And you know, the, the moment that someone scores a touchdown or the, the moment that, you know, that they make some grand announcement after the game, what's usually the first thing they say, well, I just want to thank the big guy in the sky. I just want to thank the man upstairs. Don't ever call him that. He's infinitely more than that. 
You see, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll see God as something that he's not. We'll see God as this impersonal ruler. He's this celestial being that just kind of coldly rules over every aspect of our life. There's no warmth and vibrancy. Jesus says he's not an impersonal ruler. He's a personal father. Then we'll see God as an employer or a boss or a CEO that kind of nonchalantly just goes about life. Do these things. Keep in line and I'll bless you. And then when he doesn't, we go to him and say, what the world? Thought we had a deal. Thought we had an arrangement. Jesus says he's not a nonchalant boss, CEO. He's a personal father. Well, also, if we're not careful, we'll see God as Darth Vader. You know, he's just this dark, cold, impersonal force. This cause of all causes somewhere on the expanse of the universe. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus has in mind. I mean, it's breathtaking for us to behold. Can you imagine what his disciples thought? I mean, his disciples were Jewish and this reared in Judaism. I mean, God's people in the Old Testament, they, they were completely terrified of God. God was always at a distance. So much so they wouldn't even say his name. He is the master, not father. He is Adonai. Don't ever call him father. He is mighty. He's El Shaddai. Do not say his name. He's a shim. He's just the name. He's not God as father. Now there was without question a belief in the fatherhood of God and even a reverence among God's people in the Old Testament, but a personal, intimate relationship. In fact, did you realize that Jews, even today, struggle with spelling out the name of God, G-O-D? They just simply put G-D. But yet here Jesus is reminding us of the purpose of prayer, which is not asking for something, but being with someone and so when you come to God at any time, anywhere, with anything, you come to him as father. You know, there's two incredible senses that Jesus means by this. One is we come to God as father, as the supreme deity, one who is personally responsible for the origin and care of all that exists. I mean, this expanse and grandiose of the universe and subsequent galaxies and even our own world. You know how profound that is? In fact, if you were to go out on any night in Oklahoma and you were to look up at the stars, astrologers tell us that you'll see right at 20,000 stars. But in actuality, even in our galaxy, there are 70 million, million million stars that are visible in our universe alone. In fact, scientists tell us that the more we begin to expand and discover just the expanse of our galaxies, they're not just one trillion other universes, there are two trillion universes. Those are just the ones that we think we know about. Now, the only thing more profound than that expanse and the profoundity of God's creation is the simplicity in which the biblical authors go to see how God made it. But the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 3, 
When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. The God as Father orchestrates with such synergy and collaboration within the Trinity that he has assigned God the Son to create all of this expanse, two trillion plus universes, even the magnanimity of the stars with his very words. And yet he oversees it. He set it up. It's just the work of his fingers. He is set in place. He knows every star and he knows you. Now, something else amazing. These stars are just kind of, you know, you're, oh, oh, that's neat. Did you realize we've discovered some of these stars that are truly breathtaking? In fact, we discovered a star called IRS 65 that is so massive that if the sun was 18 inches, IRS 65 would be the size of Mount Everest in proximity. That is a massive star. And God just set it in place. Furthermore, we have a star called NGC 6302. It is currently hovering above us at 250,000 degrees and has a wingspan of over three light years and it's approximately 4,000 light years right here from Oklahoma. They just call it majestically the Butterfly Nebula. And I say all that to say this, that if God is big enough to manage and to orchestrate and to sustain such a universe, is he not capable enough to handle what is going on in our lives? Could he not put back together or sustain the mess in our lives and transform it into a message that brings glory? him. Can I tell you, it is this thought of God as mighty and supreme that dominates the majority of the Old Testament. He is Adonai. He is mighty in El Shaddai. He is the God that says in Isaiah 44 verse 24, thus says the Lord, your redeemer who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who've made all things, who alone stretched the heavens, who spread the earth by myself that is the same magnanimous God that creates the universe and the trillions of galaxies that formed you personally and intimately in the womb. It is this understanding that you and I come to him not as Adonai, not as El Shaddai, not as Hashem, but as Father. Doesn't this embolden us to take our disasters to the master. Doesn't this compel us to give our mess to the Almighty? Doesn't this encourage us that regardless of what in the world is going on in life, yet COVID again, Lord? That there's nothing that brings us farther from Him because we have a Heavenly Father who is lovingly caring who is personally responsible for the origin and care of all that exists. The stars, the planets, the ecosystems, and everything else, even us. It is this understanding then that must embolden our prayers, that must allow us to no longer tolerate the mundane, 
the casualty of the same phrases over and over again, expecting different outcomes. No, man, we boldly go to the throne. May we beg God to do in and through us what only he can do. In fact, Mark Batterson, a pastor from Washington, D.C., he said it well in this regard, in regard to bold prayers, when he says, bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. For if your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. How many times have we given God something that honestly anybody else could do? We have a God who is in charge of the origin and care of everything exists in the universe. And that God says, you pray to me at any time, anywhere with anything. Oh, and by the way, call me Father. It is this wonderful understanding then that prayers are never too big for our God, only too small. May you, when you pray, May you see the magnanimity of who he is. He is our father. You know, I got just a snapshot of this on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day at Channel 6 at 11 o'clock, our church had the privilege of, of sharing the gospel through a celebration at Christmas with tens of thousands of people in the Tulsa metro area. It may even mean more than that. Hopefully it was by God's grace. And I was so incredibly grateful and proud of our worship teams and creative teams. And it was just awesome to see what God's people can do, right? And so we purposefully, Brent and I did, we didn't intentionally tell our kids about anything. We just, we got up and celebrated Christmas like you did. And man, we were opening presents and you know, things were flying everywhere. And it was just an incredible morning. And then we kind of gathered together around our TV at 11 o'clock and we turn on the TV and there we are. And it was so fascinating to see my kids respond. They were like, I know them. I, I see them every Sunday. This is our church. You saw our choir and orchestra and praise teams. It was just incredible. And then all of a sudden, I show up and have the privilege of sharing the gospel. And it's just funny watching your kids watch you on TV. And so our, our youngest child, Aubrey Face, she turns two tomorrow, by the way. She's just looking at that TV and looking at me, looking at that TV. And all of a sudden, she goes, that's my dad. That's my dad. Just in complete astonishment. You know, I can't help but think of all the things that God's going to ask of us in 2022. Of all the things that God's going to ask of you to trust him and to live by faith, not by sight. Of to come to him with anything, at any time, with anywhere. And how he's going to answer that in a way that he's going to get the glory and you will be able to look back and say, that's my dad. When you pray, Jesus says, you say, Father, in heaven. In one sense, it was under the understanding of the supreme deity who is personally responsible for the origin and care of all that exists. Secondly, we're to pray to God as Father, as the intimate, personal Father who by our trusting relationship, through grace, by faith in Christ, gives us his unending love, his intentional, abundant provision, his endless protection and his guidance in our lives. When we pray, we're not talking to some merciless, impersonal ruler 
some stiff, nonchalant CEO or boss, some dark, impersonal force, some uncaused cause in the universe, we are talking to our Father who knows us and loves us in a way that is truly unimaginable. It's this understanding that dominates every aspect of our lives as we follow Christ for God. In fact, one of my favorite theologians is a man by the name of J.I. Packer. And J.I. Packer wrote a generational work called Knowing God. And in Knowing God, there's a chapter there on adoption. And it, it talks about the consequence of our sonship and daughtership in Christ as a result of placing our faith in Christ. In fact, Paul goes at length to describe this to the church of Galatia in the book of Galatians. And we're studying that book this year. And so in that chapter... J.I. Packer answers the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, think about that. If someone came up to you and said, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that mean and look like in your life? Here's what he said. How does one know they're a Christian? One knows they're a Christian. Are you ready for this? Because they know God as Father. He goes on to say it's unique within history that any group of God's people could call him such a name. So in the Old Testament, it was Adonai, it was El Shaddai, it was Hashem. But for those of us in Christ, he now implores us to call God Father. He goes on to say that the Christian name for God is Father. Can I tell you the unique honor and blessing it is to have such a responsibility to call God Father. I mean, God's people in the Old Testament, they unquestionably believed in the fatherhood of God. But there was a sense that God was unapproachable. The relationship with God, specifically personally, was convoluted at best. In fact, did you realize that God is never called Father in a personal prayer in the entire Old Testament? 39 books, not one time. He literally was to God's people, as the author says in Hebrews 12, 29, a consuming fire. Furthermore, God is only mentioned as Father 14 times in the entire Old Testament alone and never in a personal sense. Now, here's something mind-blowing. There's a German scholar who did exhaustive, decades-long research on rabbinic literature and rabbinic authors and their study of the Old Testament, even extra-biblical Jewish writings from the origin of Judaism through the 10th century AD. You ready for this? There is not one author, not one in any work that ever referenced God as their father. Yet here Jesus is teaching his disciples in Luke 11 that when we come to God, we are to call him Father. Additionally, throughout the New Testament, the word Father appears to be characterized by God over 65 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It appears over 100 times in John's Gospel alone. What has changed? Where you have 39 books in the Old Testament, not one mention of God as Father, not one. The word Father only appears 14 times, never in a personal sense. Now, here is Jesus telling us, you will call God Father. It's not what has changed. 
but it's who has changed. Jesus truly does change everything. He truly is who he says he was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in the same way that Jesus prayed to God and called him Father, he desires us to do the same. In fact, did you realize that Jesus called God Father in every prayer of his in the Gospels? But one, the only one, is a prayer of his in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, when on the cross... At the exact moment, the weight of our sin, past, present, and future was placed upon him and the subsequent wrath and judgment of God. In light of that, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's it. One time. All the others, God as Father. No one ever prayed like Jesus because no one is like Jesus. And Jesus authorizes empowers his disciples to address God as Father just like he did. For we have through him complete access to God. In fact, did you realize that Jesus prayed for such access? He prayed for this moment that we would call God Father. In the true Lord's Prayer, in John chapter 17, Jesus says in verses 22 and 23, listen to this, that God, I pray that they will have the glory that you've given me this glory that I've given to them, that they would be one even as we are one, that I would be in them as you are in me, that they would become perfectly one, his followers would, so that the world would know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Can I tell you about a radical, this teaching is. Can I tell you about how profound in all other religions this concept that we can personally and intimately call God the Father? It's not existent. Even at the time of this writing in Roman mythology, you know, they had a brief sense of fatherhood. Jupiter would kind of serve as this kind of, you know, just non benevolent deity. And he would a father in Greek mythologies at the time of Jesus' writing. Gods were angry and petulant and distant. In fact, there was a, a god, little god, by the name of Prometheus, who was a god of fire. And he looks upon the expanse, the writings say, and he saw this helpless little humanity, cold and dreary. And so he gives them fire as a gift. And he's immediately rebuked by Zeus in Greek mythology. Here in complete contrast, you see the benefit of faith in following Christ. That you see the life-changing truth of giving your life completely to God in Christ. That you can come to a God who is Adonai, that you can come to a God who is El Shaddai, but that you can have the personal intimacy with him as Father. Solomon was right when he said in Proverbs 15, verse 8, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Jesus-like prayers arise from a diligent devotion to a loving God who as Father is faithful to do what he says he will do. 
It is care and love and provision and guidance in our lives. God knows our struggles. He knows our pains. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our desires. He knows our greatest wishes. He knows our greatest failures. And he wants us to come to him at any time and anywhere with anything and to call him Father. For as a Christ follower, God wants us to come to him with anything near or far because he loves us in Christ just as we are. What is it that God has placed on your heart this year? I mean, what is it that, that just continually stays on your mind? If you're not careful, you'll, you'll worry about, you'll place a greater emphasis in your heart than what the Lord ever intended? Would you give it to God, as Father, who's in heaven and desires to work in and through you on earth? I think in light of that truth, I've got two challenges for us in light of this text. Number one is that we would take this prayer in Luke 11, 1 through 4, and we would, we would read it, or recite it, ponder it every single day in 2022 and just see what the Lord does. I mean, just take this year. See what the Lord does. Secondly, that we would live this out. In light of God, who is personally in charge of the origin of all that exists, the universes in our world. Secondly, as a result of our intimate personal relationship with him through Christ. That there are three things that we would do in our prayers. Number one, that we would draw near. So we come to God as Father, our Dad, that we would draw near to him, that there would be an expectation that we would be excitingly, not begrudgingly, that we would come to the Word, that we would come to the Lord. What do you have for me today, Father? What is it that you're asking me to do? That we would draw near to Him, that we would secondly then always listen, that we'd have a posture of humility, that we would, as the book of James says in James 4.10, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That we would understand that God is spoken, He's revealed. And in a way, before we ever receive, we come in adoration to him as father, to draw near, to always listen, to finally, to do immediately. That we would have a posture of obedience. That we would forsake this, this kind of you know, nonchalant disobedience. That we would praise the Lord and trust the Lord and get to work. Because there's so many things that God has for us this year. And God is a loving father, oversees all aspects of our lives and desires to work in and through us as a loving God, as one who is mighty, as one who is above, but one who intimately works intentionally as Father. Prayer truly does change everything. And with that in mind, when we see prayer, not just as a part of our life, but as Jesus did, the way of life like never before.